and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth. This week, we're having a podcast takeover as the NetApp A team take control of the Bandwidth studio. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to this special edition of Arrow Bandwidth with me, Rory McBride. Uh, I'm here today with uh, four members to discuss the up-and-coming trends of 2017. Uh, let's go around the room and see who's here with me. Um, to my right, I have... Uh, Mark Halton of uh, Concord Technology Group, um, <laughs> our technical lead. Excellent. Uh, next to you we have... Uh, my name is Ed Morgan. I'm a senior solution architect for Insight UK. Uh, next caller. <laughs> so I'm Michael Cade. I'm a technical evangelist at Veeam Software. And uh, sitting up in Liverpool we have on the phone... Hi, I'm Paul Stringflow. I'm IT Director at Gardner Systems, a consultancy based in the Northwest. Excellent. So uh, today we decided to get together and discuss some of the things that uh, we think are up and coming with uh, 2017. Um, one of the things we started off talking about prior to this, we had a little pre-call, was um, I suppose infrastructure. So um, Ed, I think you had a good point you wanted to raise at that point. Uh, so I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, so talking about infrastructure is kind of a bit dull nowadays, isn't it? And uh, so kind of my tip for what we're going to see in 2017 is a massive increase in kind of the adoption of hyper-converged systems. Um, I guess we've kind of been talking about this for a while now, and, you know, hyper-convergence has been buzzy, you know, and all the vendors have been pushing it, but it's kind of been focused in, like, the, the branch office and that whole sort of robo and maybe focused on VDI solutions. But the way the... Or certainly from what I'm seeing, the way the industry and the sort of C-level guys are talking about stuff now is they don't want to worry about their IT systems. They don't want to worry about spending four million pounds straight up on a flex pod, you know, or you know, another converged infrastructure system. Um, you know, they just want to make it simple, make it nice and scalable, and not really have to worry about the kind of whole provisioning piece and the modular approach and. I guess kind of standardized APIs that come with the majority of the hyperconverged systems makes it very, very easy to scale your infrastructure out as you need to go and then forget about it and just manage it, you know, from a single single API. Okay, Paul, I think uh, there was something you wanted to add in as well, wasn't there? Yeah, I think to pick up on Ed's point there, you know, this is probably... Um, will drive more of what we saw uh, and we've seen over the last couple of years, which is this kind of movement towards uh, simplification. You know, I think increasingly the conversations I have with IT decision makers, they're, they're less and less bothered about kind of the detail of how you're going to build these infrastructures. They want something that they can easily manage, easily scale, easily deploy, um, and, and something that just provisions their applications. You know, people are very much application and data centric and, um, you know, the idea that they want big, long, complex conversations around how they're going to build an infrastructure. I think it's very much driving that kind of idea of hyper-converged. Um, I think as we've, we've probably all spoke about before, though, whether whether hyper-converged is really the thing that people want or whether it's the simplicity in a kind of in a small consumable unit that, that people are interested in. Maybe maybe that's more of the point yeah. uh, than, than hyper-converged being kind of a a new and clever technology it's more of a repackaging and simplification of of maybe the kind of infrastructure we're all used to I, th I think that's a very good point like the simplicity of it is definitely what's driving the conversations more than i want to buy hyperconverged because it's buzzy and vsan 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 you know or, or scale or whatever being neutral here you know it is very much being driven by that sort of simple simplicity conversation rather than 
the technology aspects. Yeah, I guess it, from an infrastructure point of view, though, is let's let's just pull that back and let's look at what build what makes up that that infrastructure piece. So you've got your storage, you've got your network, you've got your compute in there. That doesn't go away. It's ultimately that hyper-converged infrastructure still depends on those those commodity items, and people are still going to be they're still going to be going out and buying those piecemeal pieces to that that infrastructure. But exactly what the guys have said is it's going to be let's take away that 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 uh, specific storage requirement. Let's take away that specific compute and networking, etc., and and just combine that into a, a nice, easy, modular approach. I, th I guess that's what we all agree on from that, that perspective. Cool, cool. Mark, anything? Um, yeah, I, I'm going to say I agree with the guys around HCI, and I, I think that's kind of leading into uh, some of the topics we talk about, more around the, the, the change of conversation. So it's, it's like um, we, we're getting more into solution, solution pieces, and nobody ever comes and asks for a specific product now. So it goes down to breaking that down and nobody comes and asks for the storage. Nobody comes and asks for uh, compute. It, it, it's about delivering the solutions. And, and I think that conversation has really changed over the last 12 months um, for, for me personally. Um, uh, the way I'm talking to customers and things and, and uh, customers are asking for, um, asking for uh, us to work with them. HEI comes into play, we've got converged, but it, it's, it's no one answer for everybody. Um, it's it's what um, it's, it's what the customer requires, and I yeah. think that feeds into things like um, what we're not going to see next year. Okay, so what what we're not going to talk about next year a little bit as well. So we're making predictions for some things of 2017, um, but I think um, as we all know, flash conversation has come to uh, the brink of every conversation. It's 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 a forefront of what we talk about today, and they flashes a technology. Everybody provides a flash technology or has a flash play now, Indeed. Um, and. It's, it's going to become the norm. We're not going to go into places and try and sell Flash. Flash is just going to be what people buy. Yes. It's, it's just another media type, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Time. Exactly how we had we had SaaS and we had SATA. It was, it's just another media type. SaaS is going to die. Now it's going to be selling SaaS in a year. Are we, are we predicting <laughs> that as being the, the death of the 2017, the death of SaaS? And the year of VDI. And the, oh, yeah. <laughs> Fifth year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> The Linux desktop is that is that happening mm. on on the virtual Linux desktop? Yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. Meanwhile, back at the point. <laughs> yeah, I think just uh, just to add something to what Mark's saying as well. There, I, I, you know, he's absolutely right in that the conversation people are having is, is much more around, I've got a business problem, can you help me to solve it? Mm -hmm. But I do think a lot of the kind of change in, in how people view IT infrastructure has been driven by this kind of um, you know smartphone app ecosystem kind of mentality in that if I want something on my smartphone, I go to an app store, I download I it. it, it runs. I don't really care about the back end of it. What I get to see is it delivers a thing that I, I want it to deliver. And if you extend that into working with the likes of AWS and Azure, it's the same kind of idea. If I want a SQL server in AWS, I go to the AWS marketplace, I click on a SQL server, and it just appears. And an IT decision maker, certainly the ones I'm talking to, that's how they want to see their IT infrastructure delivered. That's how the business yeah. leaders in those organisations want to see IT delivered. They're not. They don't want to get into necessarily deep conversations about how that technology does that. They just want to see that kind of end result that says, "Are you helping me to de to deliver that?" I think it opens up a whole bunch of other 
uh, kind of other areas of consideration when when people want to kind of abstract that complexity. And it doesn't mean that the underlying infrastructure shouldn't be or can't be complex, but the way it's presented out to a business, to uh, an IT team, it's got to be that kind of simplification piece. You know, whether we're doing that through automation, through workflow, through GUIs or through coding, you know, and, and using some of the coders kind of uh, software's infrastructure type coding platforms. However, we're delivering that. It's to make that easy so that it's more, um, you know, to, to kind of tick off the, uh, the the bingo terms, I suppose, that it's more agile, it's more scalable, and it allows us to deliver things more quickly. Um, so, you know, I think as, as, as that's, that seems to be the thing that's driving lots of these and, and goes all the way back to what we started with, which is where Hyperconverge has got its success, because I think Hyperconverge delivers an awful lot of that. You know, it hides and, and abstracts lots of the uh, lots of complexity away from uh, from the end user, but delivers the services they want relatively quickly, relatively easily. Um, and I think that's the thing that people want, you know, something that one of the guys touched on before was the idea that people aren't buying Hyperconverge because it's cheap, because in reality, Hyperconverge isn't cheap. It's, it's no, it's no less, less of a cost investment than building the infrastructure yourself. But what it is, is simple and straightforward. So, um, and I think we'll see that as a, as a huge driver through 2017. I think just to carry on ticking the buzzword bingo boxes, one of the words you missed off was elasticity and <laughs> the the mod oh, no i'm being serious here yeah. i am joking but i'm also being serious like the the nature of uh hyperconverged systems means you can just go you can very rapidly procure and turn around a bunch more power very simply and just tack it into your infrastructure should you need to i mean there's that great um kind of analogy that solify is what they call it fedex FedEx upgrades. FedEx load balancing. Or yeah. FedEx load balancing, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they've got a couple of extra nodes kicking around in a warehouse and, you know, one one cluster needs some more and they move it there. And then if the other cluster needs some more because the workloads have migrated or whatever, they just remove that cluster from also the node from the cluster, stick it in a FedEx van, drive it to the other data center and plug it in. And, you know, Alex, right, it's that very modular approach that, that makes life very easy for infrastructure departments. Yes. Um, I think one of the other things probably... Um, around this sort of would be the the ability to pay as you go or pay as you use um module modular design of of is what cios and cfos are probably after at this time well yeah right. i mean you can use all the chargeback mechanisms we're getting into the semantics of cloud here now yeah, right but, but, but you know it, the, those sort of infrastructures because they are very api driven allow you to i mean chargeback is a nightmare to implement right but cios want to see what people are using like backup well yeah, unless you use Veeam, then backup's easy, right? Um, <laughs> um, no, but j no, you're right, you're right. So CIOs and, and, and you know, IT managers want to be able to see how much their infrastructure is truly costing them, and mm -hmm. today's infrastructure challenges, one of them is around, around chargeback, but, you know, it's very, I won't say it's very easy, but it's a lot easier to implement those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, and from a tender response point of view, I think if you're not, leading or putting those sorts of technologies in to your response, even if they're requested for on a private or even a legacy application, uh, that uh, you're, you're cutting yourself short, you're selling yourself short as to what you could probably deliver. I think, yeah, I think something to highlight there is, is the change. It's like Ed's, Ed mentioned then uh, a couple of times talking about C-level at CIO level. And um, like a couple of years ago, we weren't talking to CIOs about technology. They weren't making the decisions. It was the IT manager. Um, you went in there, you spoke to the IT manager, and, and 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 they really were the ones that were buying the kit. They were the, they're putting that effort forward. Now, 
Now you've got CIOs involved, you've got development teams involved, you're now going asking the people using the infrastructure rather than, and I think that's a big shift in what, would, what we're seeing coming out of the industry, what we're expected to be able to deliver is changing because the users are now making those decisions and the businesses are making the decisions because yeah. they want to see real business value out of the IT. So when, when, was the, when was the last time you had a conversation with anybody that said, I want fiber channel, I want a fiber channel SAN? I haven't for a long time, yeah. Well, I, I actually did about two weeks ago, but that was that was out of the ordinary, put it yeah. that way. You know, like... But well, to add something to Mark's point as well, I, I think one of the other things that we're seeing is that IT spend isn't necessarily coming from the IT manager or even necessarily the, the IT department now. You know, we, we've done a number of projects in the last year where the budget for the project has come from uh, somebody as a, a site manager or somebody who's an application the owner application that they've, they've the big needed one, yeah. or had a requirement for some IT infrastructure, IT service, and they've held the budget to deliver that. And I think we'll see that increasingly as well because... You know, the, the, we, we can't, um, we're not kidding ourselves to think that IT doesn't touch every part of a business now and, and, and all organisations are very uh, IT reliant in, in delivering services, delivering to their customers. And, and I think we're seeing that kind of freeing up across uh, organisations where maybe somebody like marketing or manufacturing or say an application manager maybe has budget and just needs, you know, kind of all, almost feeds this idea of I don't really care how you do it here's my budget for you to deliver a thing and I don't care whether that thing comes from a public cloud provider, it's a software it's a service offering or something we build ourselves just as long as you give me the thing that I want and, and you deliver that. So so I think to, to add to Mark's point there that you know we're, we're having those kind of business strategy conversations but not necessarily with an IT department. We might well be having that with a marketing head who has got a marketing project and some budget and needs some IT service to deliver it. So, yeah. so I think, again, that's something that we'll see an awful lot more of uh, in this coming year. I think that point's very important as well because, you know, that's why... So it's very easy now for, um, you know, I don't know, application owners or marketing people or whomever wants to service to bypass IT, right, and just go and buy a bunch of stuff from yeah. AWS. If IT departments want to stay relevant within their businesses, they need to get out of the way and, you know, become... I don't want to say the words, but become business business enablers rather than a cost center, right? And that's where yeah, tick in the air for that one. So that's that's why again, talk these whole things like chargeback and the visibility into your infrastructure. This is what IT departments need to be thinking about now. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just going to be cut out, and people are just going to go straight to the public cloud, you know, or service provider, whoever that may be, uh, and an IT department's going to be irrelevant. Yeah, I guess from from a leading back from a 2016 piece, and everyone in the industry saying, "Well, if you're if you're implementing that infrastructure and that's your day to day job, then come 2017, and I strongly believe, and I, I guess all of us do, is that that role is diminishing quite quickly, and it's now about how to bring that service to the forefront, and how do you that that along with that hyperconverge that we mentioned before, and that whole simplicity, usability, that sort of that sort of approach to that infrastructure, if you like, is that that's there, that's it's already in. So now the IT team should be able to spend time on actually bringing a service to to fruition to be able to use that and actually give give those users, regardless of what department they are, but give them the service a lot faster than what they had they had before. So it's more around delivering an experience rather than just the records the information it's actually getting to it being able to do something with it whether that be a department or whether that be your your customers via 
an app on your phone. Just make it all conceivable. Like take the work away. Don't make. It, why do you want to provision a service yourself? Just give them a portal and let let the users to do it. And you know, take take the donkey work away from the IT department. I think that's a. You can worry about the important things, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a big thing. Is that I think by the end of 2017, the whole professional services. I don't think professional services is going to go away as a as a as a job role. But I think it, the scope of that position is now going to change very much from a rack and stack engineer to a. It's not going to be that that implementation that that architecture conversation or or implementation from them. It's now going to be right. How do we deliver this as a service to our either from a, a cloud-based model or, or internally into a, a into a business. I mean, even internally, like a lot of businesses are starting to think like service providers. You know, I mean, I've had a, I mean, that's not a prevalent thing at the moment for most people, but the last couple of years I've worked with some, some of the large customers that I've had at my previous role and at Insight, you know, where they are, their CIOs have gone, right, we need to think like a service provider. And a lot of them, sometimes they've just read like, I don't know. The uh, register. They've read the register and gone, eBay, I want to be the next eBay. And they're, they're not going to be, right? But yeah. they that, that transition to thinking as a service provider as opposed to just keeping the lights on is is going to... There's, there's going to be a tipping point coming, right? And it, I think it's going to happen pretty soon. So. I think Ed makes a great point as well because uh, you know, I think we're seeing that increasingly that... I think if anybody who's listening to this, if the you know the three people who are listening to us, us guys talking, um, <laughs> but if, if those people are listening to this and thinking, you know, I, I can maintain my IT service as I currently do. You know, I can work along the lines of, um, you know, a traditional IT uh, IT shop and IT infrastructure shop. Then I, I don't think they're serving either their their businesses and their employers uh, very well, and they're certainly not serving their careers very well. I think you know this idea, and Ed touched on it before, of of IT being seen as some kind of inhibitor to to the business doing what it needs to do. If if you don't change that, the business ultimately will find somebody who does change that. You know, and I think this idea of people can quickly go and buy a you know a service online, be it from a big public cloud provider or maybe one of the kind of the geo local. Uh, kind of providers the fact that people can do that it, you know introduces a whole bunch of risks to an organization you know it does it, it if that's happening outside of it's control for example then you know, there's every chance we're, we're probably going to come on to kind of the importance of data security and where some of the new regulations that, that we'll see be becoming active this year sit but if we're having yeah. data sitting in applications that we don't know about because of businesses looking at their it provision as some kind of impediment to growth or to success then you know that opens us up to all kinds of uh, kind of data leak risks and, and long term actually risks to the to the overall uh, you know overall health of the organisation. So I think all this kind of idea of looking at delivering, looking at how a service provider works and looking to deliver internal IT that it's not for everybody. You know some organisations that that will not be the kind of area they need to be. And you know I think we've all touched on before that lots of the IT trends that we talk about as people who spend time in the industry and, and comment on it, that lots of those things are driven by people who are want to be the next Netflix, next eBay, next Amazon. Um, but lots of lots of organisation, I'm sure lots of people who, who may may catch this, this conversation that we're having, their businesses don't look like that. However, they do need to start thinking along those lines of how they make their IT provision uh, you know, more 
more flexible, can deliver things quicker and, and not something that's a, an impediment both to business growth and maybe long term the kind of data security of your, your organization because people start to put data in places where they can easily put it and easily work with it, but it's outside of the control and governance of, of what you need as a business. Yeah, that leads us nicely into what I would like to say is probably the security and data protection side. And I think you've kind of touched on one of the areas there, which is the um, compliance um, and the worry around GDPR that we've probably got uh, just over a year and a half to, to get to a setup that is compliant with that. Um, which is, I think, probably one of the areas that we're probably going to see a bit more investment from the UK. Um, we're in or out regardless of whether we, we follow through with Brexit, and this is not the conversation we're going to move into, but I think, yeah, we've got an issue around um, making sure that we are compliant from a GDPR point of view. Um, so I'm going to, I think, we're probably hopefully going to see a bit more investment from people around that over the next six to nine months as they start to understand that, you know, this, is, this isn't this is just a, a small thing. This is going to be a big thing. What do you what do you think? So so I guess from a from an industry point of view, this is really the 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 follow on to that that data protection act from from our point of view and how we're going to handle and 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 store that data or keep that data for a, a, a retention point of time. I haven't really read too much into it and how how that needs to be implemented, but obviously there's there's a people need to be aware that this is coming. There's going to be a change in that data protection act that that uh, requirement for com com compliancy and, and a retention period for that data, but also where, where can we store that? Where, from a backup perspective, um, where, can we, where can we store that? Can we store it in a public cloud that's hosted in a, in a non-EU, an EU uh, country or, a, or an EU country? It's kind of, we don't know what tho those rules look like now, but it's definitely something that's going to be... Uh, aired this year so that we yeah. have to make that decision i mean the one of the points i did here um and just to really you know fan the flames is it's a bit like the rules people put around when we initially got uh, driving with mobile phones so many people were doing it it's going to be impossible for them to police um so hopefully we'll see a bit of a change so that people aren't just you know avoiding following the compliance requirements because it's a bit hard or a bit expensive from this point of view I think yeah, I think there's so many parts to like GDPR and what what the requirements will be. Um, there's going to be a big education piece um, because smaller companies that don't realise they're going to be affected by GDPR or have to meet those requirements, um, they aren't paying any attention to it really. They've heard the term maybe and stuff like that. The, the larger companies are probably further down the line. They've already um, accepted that they need to take that and they're, they're already on the, the the steps to be able to deliver requirements but because there's so many different it's not just a case of um, where your data sat um, and things like that it could be data management so where how do you manage your data uh, how do you move your data between different platforms how do you move your data from on-premise to off-premise um, how do you back up your data how long you retain your data for but then you've got governance of the data then the, le um, the, the, the legal side of it and understanding now from an infrastructure point of view for me, I still don't have a full understanding from the legal side. Uh, infrastructure side, yeah, I can put a security platform in there, I can secure the data, I know where it's sat, I know how to be able to lay out the infrastructure to meet the requirements, but from a legal side, I'm, I'm still like, right, okay, well, what, what impact does that have on me? And I think that's where um, 
I think that's some of the messaging that needs to go out this year. And I think um, vendors, vendors that are going to be working in that sort of area need to make sure that people understand what that legal... Yeah, I think, yeah, there's it, it, it's a many-faceted um, project, I suppose. There's lots of opportunities for people to be either selling software or hardware or combinations to, to help protect this information. And if you don't need it, why keep it? You know, I'm... I try to keep my inbox lean. I'm sure, um, you know, some of you do, some of you don't. But yeah, when when I when I finish with it, I delete it. It's not my job to make sure that my my information is backed up. It's kept. That's that's my IT department. So if somebody comes and says to me, "I sent you that email six weeks ago," if I've actioned it, it's gone. There's no point in keeping it. So it's the same sort of thing. If you've got information in your company from something you did ten years ago, is it worth keeping? You know, and and because you could be liable to to some sort of fine if if it's not properly protected. Ed, you look yeah, like there's a good point, Rory. Actually, one, one, I mean, one of the key um, tenants of, of GDPR, and GDPR is around uh, privacy of EU citizens. So it's not. So there's a couple of things there, and Mark kind of touched on the, the wider aspects of data governance and data control. GDPR itself is around uh, the, the, the privacy of data for EU citizens. So, so one of the things that sits in there is, is how is the UK affected by. Uh, you know, its decision to leave the EU. Well, one of the things is it, it probably won't be hugely affected because if you're going to be a business holding data that of EU citizens, personal data of EU citizens, then you will fall into the scope of the GDPR Act. Um, so, you know, so, you, so we're going to have to prepare for that. But but even that aside, you know, the, the good practice that comes with it, and we, we've seen a real shift in emphasis in lots of the businesses, both large and small, that we deal with. I mean, uh, one one. Uh, example that I always find quite interesting is we do some work with a uh, very small but very specialist legal firm. They employ half a dozen people, but last year we did around 30 days worth of work with them to help them to build data leak prevention policies. And the reason that we did that was because the customers that they have, they're, they're part of a supply chain that absolutely needs them to deliver high levels of security because of the um, because of the areas that those uh, their large customers work in. Um, so, so even if you're an organisation that, that doesn't feel data security is that critical to you because who's going to be interested in me, I'm only a small company, you, you have to take seriously the fact that the people that you supply, who the people who may be your customers, may very well dictate some of these kind of things. So, so I think, there's, as I say, there's these kind of two areas. There's what GDPR is about, which is more around data privacy, and I think, Rory, you make a great point about do I need to keep that data? Because I, I was talking to um, uh, NetApp's Chief Data Privacy Officer, uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick, about this, and she was talking about how um, one of the questions that they ask as a, as a global organization is, do I need to hold this data at all? And that maybe should be the first question that you, that you ask yourself. And then there was, a, uh, I think it was Michael was touching on the idea of, of where we're going to retain this data longer term. Again, one of the questions you should be asking in there is, is do I need to retain this data at all? You know, I think we all turn around and say, I like to keep my backups for a year. But one of the questions you should be asking yourself is, well, what am I, what's contained within that data that I'm retaining? And do I really need to be keeping it? Um, and then there's that, that kind of bigger piece around how you build um, this kind of multi-layered data security, data leak prevention, data management 
policy um, and, and we see uh, you know I, I fully expect that's going to be a, a huge growth trend in, in 2017 we saw lots of that over the last couple of years I just accept, expect that's going to accelerate more and, and GDPR might accelerate that in, in a lot of people's minds certainly bring it higher up the agenda at, at probably a board yeah. level for, for lots of organisations I suppose the only fear is that we end up with a, you know this doesn't become a kind of the IT industry isn't looked back in, in 10 years time and say you know like, like the Y2K stuff is where people say well it was just the IT industry driving lots of fear and doubt and making lots of money out of things that we didn't really need I don't think GD, you know, data privacy is much more important than that but it's important for us as an IT industry I think to you know to be sensitive to that and to you know and to, to kind of um, to kind of drive this kind of data security and data privacy uh, agenda to drive it you know appropriately and, and accurately yeah. and not not try and run around scaremongering too much indeed so, so i don't know about everybody else but personally i make quite a lot of money about the y2k thing but um <laughs> that that whole uh, conversation about gdpr leads us on really nicely so how do you see um see what your data is and how, how do you work out what you need to keep right so i think paul you and i have discussed this before but you know the kind of the trend for, for analytics and again buzzword sorry you know big data is going to be more prevalent for because everybody now needs to see what their data looks like you can't just keep chucking stuff on tape and well, i mean you can but why would anybody want to use tape it's a different <laughs> conversation but you know everybody now needs to see what their data looks like so i think we're going to see much bigger adoption of things like splunk and you know even things like Hadoop and Hadoop Cassandra. And all, all the big data engines. Yeah. You know, so people can actually look at what their data is and make a sensible decision on whether they need to keep it, whether it needs to be held for seven years, 25 years, whether it can just be thrown in the bin. Well, it's data is the new oil. And, and the fact is you start off with crude that you have to distill down to actually get something that's usable. Exactly. This is the data bug, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess... It, so going back to what, what we said about the professional services and, and that th this is this is a prime example as to where these these people that were doing the rack and stack the implementation of infrastructure pieces commodity hardware this is where they should be looking to potentially go into and start looking at that data and and decide what what needs to be kept and and really so that's great from a from a longer term retention and you can use those those um, products to, or vendors to to help derive that that um, data as to when to keep it and what to keep but then also from a profiling point of view so being able to create your buckets and then from that then setting a retention policy or from a data protection point of view being able to say okay we need to keep x amount of hourly backups on there or we need to send that off site on it and we need to keep a year or seven years or and you can start to see that gold silver bronze paper type type approach to to profiling that those workloads from from both a front-end point of view, because you want to make sure that they're on a on on the storage that that they require, but then also from a backup point of view or a longer-term retention point of view, they're on the right they're on the right um, target for for that retention. So, how would do you uh, how would you actually recommend delivering some of these? What, what would what would draw you to this? So it's more of a. Um, like we've talked about a lot of the industry and how to actually what what customers are actually asking for today okay and it's more of now trying to be able to deliver these solutions okay the vendors that we would use the the, the, the capability and the products that's available within the market today to to be able to help with these 
So I guess, so the one that springs to mind because I, I work with it every day is VMware. So VMware have the ability to profile those workloads. Um, there's obviously massive, massive ecosystem around the storage that we, we all deal with on a daily basis, but being able to use their vSphere tags to, to profile those workloads, put them onto whatever storage is underneath that tiering, if you like, um, and then being able to, to protect those with, with whatever software you it's want. Just want we're to getting back into policy, policy driven. SP yeah, yeah. SPVM. Well, take another buzzword off there. There's, there's probably a kind of a couple of topics going going on here, isn't there? I think as, as Ed kind of started off, one of those, um, you know, without going too much down the, uh, you know, the IT bingo route as well about talking about how data is a new gold oil or, or whatever else it needs to be. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that the businesses that will succeed longer term are going to be those businesses who know how to extract real value out of the things that they know, that the data that they own. And, and I think one of the trends that we've seen is that the commoditization of data analytics um, so the idea that I can go to Microsoft and use their Power BI service for example and take some really smart big analytics engine so somebody mentioned earlier on the use of Hadoop well Hadoop's all well and good as long as you've got the budget to build some kind of Hadoop cluster yeah. inside your organization and the knowledge to set it up uh, yeah and know and having the skills I can take Hadoop as a service I can take data analytics as a service and I think that kind of commoditization of, of that um, is going to be huge for lots of businesses and, and maybe even that businesses don't realize they're taking advantage of that kind of stuff so whether that's uh, some kind of ai stuff going on whether that's machine learning happening whether it is utilizing things like power bi and, and these kind of analytics engines so something like power bi just being part of excel allows you to do some proper data mining with lots and lots of data um, and i think i had mentioned before the idea of data lakes you know i was saying something with microsoft in december where they was talking about a microsoft data lake and actually what that means to organizations, I can just dump all the data that I've got and then start to extract value, see trends, do analysis on that data with a whole range of tools without having to worry too much about the format that that data arrives in. So, so I think at one end, that, that's going to be uh, something that's going to continue to grow and, and people are going to take advantage of. And then going back to Michael's point there about um, this idea of data profiling, performance profiling, looking at storage uh, storage profile management in, in a way that maybe VMware are, that's a, a huge driver behind their VVOLS technology, for example. You know, taking those kind of things, that, that's much more about being intelligent about how we deliver our services and how we uh, get, 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 get the best out of our infrastructure and of what we know about our infrastructure. So I think all that feeds exactly what Ed said at the start, that this kind of dragging value from your data, whether that's data about things that you know or data about the way that your infrastructure and business operates, the more value and the more understanding you can have of that, the better decisions you're going to be able to make, the quicker you're going to be able to maybe take something new to market. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I believe the people who, who take advantage of that are going to be the people who are going to be the big success stories of 2017 and, and beyond. So this that leads on, this makes, it's a really good opportunity for us as service providers or if you're not working with a service provider, you know, tough luck. Um, no, but as uh, so it, it allows you can we can take those co services and commodity services and whatever, and we can build upon those, and then offer them as a service to our customers, right? And it, you become, as you said earlier, Paul, you you, you b become more of a uh, trusted advisor. Air quotes, right? It, it allows you to add better value to your customers, whether they be internal or external, right? Mm -hmm. It just makes it easier to. to to work with your data and you know yeah. what's not to love 
Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, moving on. Uh, one of the other areas we mentioned earlier on our uh, pre-recording was the uh, the buzzword that is cloud and the different areas within there. Now, we've touched a bit on, on some of those, but um, is it still going to be people like AWS ramping ahead this year or are we going to see some more dark horses appear? Or well, I think we're going to see as your massively... Uh, as your stack should land at some point, which will be, I think was going to be huge. Yep. Um, I know everyone was talking about that demo they did at DockerCon last year, where it was basically just witchcraft um, of them spinning up a SQL server on Linux inside a Docker container. Um, you know, and then they migrated the demo up to Azure without actually really doing anything apart from running a command within the Linux box. You know, that that is... A, a, really the hybrid cloud platform that people are trying to build themselves and really struggling to do yeah um the whole vmware on aws piece again you know people were sort of saying as your stack's gonna you know start making massive dents in the enterprise so aws and vmware kind of just went oh, oh really well check this out you know that, that was a massive deal i know it's still in beta but i would imagine they're going to go to market some point this year and and again, really, that just makes the whole hybrid cloud story so um, compelling, you know that you know everyone's going to be ad adopting it. Yeah, I guess it brings those. So if if I coin the term like traditional VMware users that that had their their commodity hardware, they had their storage, they had their network, they had their compute running VMware in on premises within their within their own data center. It now allows and and the, the buzzes hit them and it's like we we need to start leveraging this public cloud blah 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 um and ultimately what vmware and aws now bring to the table is we're going to bring the same viewpoint we don't have to retrain our our engineers we're going to just be able to leverage that that public cloud and start start pushing data bursting workloads into that i think last year like so beginning of 2016 one of my blog posts was very much around what are people using the public cloud for and it was very much around backup as a service and, and pushing that longer term retention up there because it was it was it was a lot cheaper than buying that that hard spinning disk down in um, your own data center and i think we've gone we've we've uh, evolved even further into that is that now we could, with the likes of vmware hyper-v have been able to do that with with azure as well being able to send those machines up there but being able to now actually run our production workloads within those public clouds um, with no with no downtime exactly what like you would with a, a two a two site um, infrastructure between two sites being able to send a, a, an exchange server from site A to site B zero downtime and being able to still have that service up and running yeah I think we've kind of to a certain extent achieved almost the holy grail of cloud in that you can migrate data anywhere with no conversion of data you know the file format doesn't change if if you move it from your on-premises um, infrastructure up to the cloud or wherever you want to move. It. You know a soft layer, for example, with with VMware, they're another partner, right? Yeah. Same with Azure Stack and Hyper-V, although I think they've got less options for where you can move it to. But today, today, that's know, definitely where they're heading to. But yeah, you, you can know, see that the, the trick has always been, oh yeah, I can get my. Let's say I want to use DR as a service into Azure. Okay, that's great. I've had a disaster. I'm now running it as your. How do I bring that back to my on-premises VMware estate? Well, you're gonna. It's gonna be difficult, right? So you don't need to worry about the conversion of, of VM types and all that sort of stuff now. It's literally you can just just migrate it around. 
Yeah. Who, who cares where you put it? Proof of as concept as, in the as cloud. As long as you know where you've got it, which yeah. is another trick for the whole visibility piece, right? You need to know where stuff is. But yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, well, I think that, you know that kind of fits in with what, where we started with um, talking about hyperconverge. It's that maturity, that simplification, isn't it? You know, and I think the, you, the, the kind of the VMware running inside AWS, I think, is a really interesting move. Ed mentioned before was your stack as well. You know, but all those kind of platforms are about removing some of those barriers, aren't they? You know, trying yeah. to make that integration of because I think you know I, again, I think the idea that we're all going rushing headlong into running all of our services in some kind of cloud provider is probably unrealistic. I think that idea of a hybrid model where we're going to run some stuff on-prem, we're going to run some stuff as a, you know, maybe as a, a cloud service, we're maybe going to just some of that stuff just going to be software as a service. And our job is to integrate all those things together. You know, I mean, we, we've had conversations over the last couple of years a lot about your data strategy around doing that. You know, for, for lots of us, um, you know, we, we've, we've worked with NetApp um, previously, you know, and, and or, or still do in, in all of our cases. We've worked with NetApp and we've seen their conversation around their data fabric story. And that's all about how I move data from on-prem, branch office, close to the cloud, into the cloud. How do I move that data around and maintain, do it easily, maintain control. Importantly, we've talked about security, maintain security and governance on, on those things. And, it, and but that that additional maturity, I think, is is just going to accelerate um, accelerate usage of the cloud for a lot of organisations. But I think we also might see this year, because I, th I think we have started to see it, this kind of a a more mature acceptance of what running cloud-based services actually looks like. You know, I think the the headlong rush of oh, let's just take what we've got and shove it into Azure, AWS, or Google as is. Yeah. But I think people are starting to realise now that actually that's not really what cloud's designed for you know the idea that we need to think about that just as an extension of our our infrastructure an extension of our architecture and we need to architect accordingly you know so if we're going to use scalable you know to, to pinch edge phrase one before elastic cloud services if we're going to use those then let's make sure that what we're putting into those places yeah, can right take bit. full advantage yeah. of that i mean mm -hmm. there's still going to be areas where some people are just going to want to put infrastructure there or they're just <coughs> going to take you know if you're taking something like backup or dr as a service you're just going to want to just run that and spin up in Azure and go, there you go, I've got that running now. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see this kind of more grown-up approach to, to how we take advantage of uh, the as-a-service model and how we integrate that in with, with what we do day-to-day -day, as opposed to we just want to rush headlong into we all want to run in the cloud because that's what all the, the hipster kids are doing. Yeah, exactly yeah. that, Paul, I think. Um, so... Yeah, a, a lot of that, a, a large percentage have, have said, oh, we need to use cloud, let's push that workload up there. And then they've realized that actually it's too expensive or it doesn't give us exactly what we need. And then they're starting to bring that back in. Uh, I guess the analogy that I'd like to push into that is that your, your house, your house at home, right, and the garage is you only keep what you need in your gar in your house. Everything else can go out to the garage, but it's then easily accessible. You can go, you can jump out of the house, you can go and bring that back into the house whenever you need it. And if you start thinking about the hyper-converged process, so keep as little as of that infrastructure in your house, and then everything else is, is, is sent out into the garage, and you only bring it back in when you need it, or vice versa. And, and I think that's a, it probably needs a little bit of a tweak and a bit of brushing up on an, an analogy, but I think that's a, it's a good way of explaining that to, to customers, is if you keep, keep everything in, 
but close to you, especially when it comes to data sovereignty and retention periods. Who knows how long is that? Is that cloud always going to be available? So if you if you do run a hundred percent in in one of those public clouds, is everything going to be available twenty four seven all the time? Probably not. There's it's all it's been wide it's widely known that that there's a lot of outage outages with those public clouds. So being able to have that that really core critical data on-premises right next to you that's key so that's that's the in the house and then from a from a garage is really acting as that public cloud piece oh. I, I, mean, I think that, that raises another really important point there as well is that you know often i, I see and we'll talk to people who've started to take advantage of yeah to pick on office 365 but they're looking to take advantage of office 365 so they kind of almost uh, set up they, they put all their email there so they, they run exchange online uh, and what I tend to see is, is that people then kind of um, abdicate responsibility for that data. You know, they put everything in, ex in Exchange Online. I think that's now Microsoft's problem. For me, I'm a big believer that if you're going to architect things that are going to run cloud services, whether that's 365, whether that's running Azure, AWS, or anything else, that you've got to architect those solutions as though you, in the same, with the same care and attention uh, and same duty of care that you would have if you were running that on your own premises yeah uh, you know and i think 365 is a perfect example of that you know i abdicate responsibility for my data now it's there who am i going to blame when that data gets gets deleted or gets removed well actually the problem is it's your problem it's not microsoft's yeah. problem that that data has vanished out of 365 responsibility that both microsoft and amazon have for those kind of services both of them will point out they run the infrastructure they provide the software as a service platform but the stuff that you put in it is your responsibility. And I think yep. we are going to see this kind of, um, you, know, you know, without uh, dropping one in, uh, you know, kind of a, an easy hit for, for Michael here and Beam, but we are going to see this kind of increase in people taking this seriously and looking for solutions and services that allow them to mm. take full responsibility for the data that they put in a cloud service, you know, and maybe get that data out of out of 365 and make sure they've got a copy they held either on premises or they hold, hold somewhere else so uh -huh. but i think michael's point is a, a great one in that when we're designing that kind of um cloud-based infrastructure it's absolutely key that you look at that in the same way that you will look any other infrastructure that you've ever designed in your kind of it career yeah okay cool so um looking at the time we're running on i think um before we finish up, let's see if there's one thing or maybe something that's going to be hot for 2017 that we should maybe think about. Anything that's jumping out at people? Mark, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm clear one. <laughs> Security and data. So um, one of the big focuses for the conversations over the last five, six weeks, um, and well, ever since that uh, visit to NetApp Insight in, in November, um, I've been asked about the security of data. It's going down to GDPR. It was a very um, hot topic at that point, and it still is, and I think that's just going to run all the way through. There's going to be a big security boom looking at w how people can protect their data on time. Indeed. Okay, Ed, over to you. Uh, more of a driver towards uh, people not caring about nuts and bolts and speeds and fees and just being able to consume their infrastructure. I, I, I just... I don't think people really care anymore about 2017, the year of simplicity. Mate, it works for me, man. I'm simple enough. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess from, from my point of view, it's about the availability of your data. Um, so whether that's on your, on your front end and, and, and making sure that it's always available to those users, um, but also at the back end and making sure that the, 
it's it's stored in a in a in the right place at the right cost and at the right access as well so that you can get that back as as fast as possible or as fast as your IT budget allows and being able to then spin that up as as fast as possible if if there was a whether it's just a, a single a single file, a, a whole virtual machine, a whole workload, or, or a whole whole business, it's, it's about the availability of that whole that whole piece across. It's a bit biased coming from a from a Veeam guy, right? So yeah, and, and also being able to back up regardless of where it is. So if it is on premises, whether it is in in one of those public clouds or one of those managed service providers that you've got that relationship with that are offering that backup as a service, DR as a service, being able to regardless of where that that workload moves being able to back it up with that same or, or make that data available using the same same product set same interface again making sit things easy that that's really i think that that pretty much resonates across the yeah. whole whole group in here is that lots of nodding simple usability that 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 aspect of things and paul yeah, I think one of the areas that I'm interested to see how it develops, and it, it's not particularly a, a kind of a, a core area for me, is um, something that we saw kind of get released during last year, um, and that's the move to have uh, to, to make containers more easily accessible to your more traditional enterprise infrastructure, I suppose. You yeah, know, now seen, you're talking. Uh, you know, the ability to run Docker natively with inside Windows Server 2016, um, we've also got what VMware were doing with their integrated containers piece. You know, I mean, I think I think one of the things that has stopped containers becoming even more widely adopted uh, has been that the traditional infrastructure guys have looked at that and said, well, I don't really understand those. I don't want to build some kind of Linux cluster to run Docker. You know, I, I need to be able to understand what my, my infrastructure is doing. I think taking those kind of capabilities and building them into... Uh, infrastructure platforms that traditional IT houses and IT shops understand. Um, I think we'll see us see that kind of use of those those technologies um, grow hugely. So, so I'm interested to see if that goes and, and grows as quickly as um, as I think it might because of uh, particularly what VMware and Microsoft have done there, done in that space. I'm with you on that one, Paul. That's a hot topic, man. Okay. You know me all about hot topics, Ed. <laughs> yeah. It, well, you guys have covered off quite a lot with that. They haven't left a lot of space for me to, to predict something. But I think um, you're a VDI. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th I think we'll probably see more people move to a, a hybrid cloud, multi-cloud sort of model. Uh, we'll see a lot more sort of adoption of, of uh, near cloud use cases uh, with uh, pay-as-you-go models. Um Okay, well, I think uh, that seems a nice place to stop. Uh, before we all go, if anybody wants to uh, stalk you online and read more about what you've said today, where can we find you, Mark? Um, so you can get me on Twitter at mcarlton1983, and you can follow my blog on justswitchitononoff.com. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at, at mo6020, and my blog is at blog.edmorgan.info. Uh, you can get me on the Twitters at MichaelCade1 and my blog site is vzilla.co.uk. Uh, and for me, I'm, I'm all of the tech stringies. I'm uh, at tech stringy on Twitter. Uh, you can find my blog at techstringy.com. Uh, and if you want to hear more of my uh, inane witcherings on, um, I've got my own podcast. At, um, and you can get that at podcast.techstringy.com. All about the content, me. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, and that's us done for today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks,
for listening. Don't forget to subscribe.